Father, we pray that as we open your word today and we think about things and, and talk about uh, our heart, I pray that your spirit would really stir our heart. Uh, we're asking the Holy Spirit of God to write your word on the fleshly tables of our heart, to impress your will in our heart and mind, to convict of sin, to draw us unto yourselves so that when we leave this place, we feel like we have not just met with one another, but we have met with the holy God. So we pray that you would speak into each heart, mine included. May your word come alive. May it encourage. May it convict. May it strengthen, may it correct, may it accomplish that for which you have intended. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. On Sunday nights, we've been doing a series called The Summer of No Excuses, and we've been using that line on each other a lot the last few weeks. Uh, this is week five, tonight at six o'clock, and then we have five more video studies this coming week, and then that particular study will be over. This is week four of a series called Sins That We Hide, different sins that, that we hold inside. And this one I've called Quiet Arrogance or False Humility. What does not quiet arrogance look like? Louder. <laughs> Louder. How many of you remember Muhammad Ali? Uh, what was his trademark phrase? I am the greatest. It wasn't just, I'm the greatest. It was, I am the greatest. Yeah, he said that over and over and over. You, you can fight like a butterfly. He can fight like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and a man couldn't hit what a man couldn't see. He was the greatest. Just ask him. And there's people like that. There's Christians like that. Did you know there's actually a Christian Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I think that's great. We should have a Christian Hall of Fame. It should have one member, Jesus Christ. Uh, but there's a Christian, and guys aspire to get in the Christian Hall of Fame. They, you know, uh, you hear them introduced, and man, if God didn't have them on their side, there'd be nothing going on. So proud arrogance, we understand that. We hear it all the time. We hear athletes guarantee they're going to win the game, and then they get trounced, and, and all that braggadocio. What does quiet arrogance look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have a list of things. Quiet arrogance and false humility. I was going to have a top 10 list, but I only have nine. So we're going to get in the word of God in just a minute. That's the most important part of our time here. But I want to get your mind geared to be ready to hear the message from the word of God. Because we sometimes practice a quiet arrogance, or a false humility. Here's some of the ways that happens. <clears throat> Number one, when someone else is speaking, they are so busy waiting to speak, they don't really listen to what's being said. They just jump on it. Can you click that one up? I've got, got slides going for everyone. All right, they're just waiting to talk. Can't you see these two guys? They, they can't wait till the one who's speaking shuts up so the other one can say something. Sounds like politicians. Number two, they verbally express concern for others, but their actions are self-focused. It's all really all about them. Number three, internally, they want to make sure someone notices the work they did. 
They want to make sure somebody praises them, thanks them, appreciates them. But externally, if you praise them, they get, oh, don't mention me. I just do it for the Lord, not for attention. But on the inside, they're going, I got the attention. So number four, they don't want the responsibility, but they love to critique those who have it. They will critique, they will complain, they want to make sure things go the right way. And which way is the right way? Their way. That's right. And so yeah, I've experienced people like this my whole life in, in school, in uh, Bible college, working at the university, in the Marine Corps, in business as a pastor. We meet people like that. Uh, they, don't, they do not want to be the one who steps up. I, I, Tim and I are... Brother Steve Pennick and I were talking before church. I appreciate Tim and Clarinda. They're willing to step up and be responsible for certain things. And what a huge blessing that is for our church, for them, for their family, for me, for all of us. But, but these people, they don't want the responsibility. They don't want to be the one who has to make the decision. They just want to sit back and fuss about the one who's doing it. This is kind of like teenagers, you know? <laughs> Right? They, they don't want to really have to pay all the bills and pay for the rent and the food and all of that, but they sure want to fuss at the ones who do on occasion, right? Those other teenagers out there, right? Not the ones in here. Oh, no. All right, number five, they argue even in their agreement. Well, I agree with you, but have you considered this? My dad used to call that faint praise. You know, people say, oh, I love Jim Reeves, but that guy, you know, that's faint praise. That, that's, they're, they're arguing even in their agreement. Uh, number six, they obsess over appearances and their reputation. Obsessing over it. Really focusing on it. So if somebody thinks they might have made a mistake, Oh, they get all defensive. You know, I used to play a lot of pickup basketball games. Can't do basketball anymore. But I did for a lot of years, pickup basketball games. And playing with Christians was the worst. Because if you called a foul on a guy, a Christian, oh, I didn't foul you. I wouldn't do that. No, no, no. Whereas you're playing with some guys up at the park, and you call a foul on them. Oh, okay, sorry, man, here's the ball. We get very defensive sometimes. Number seven, they feel extremely frustrated when other people disagree with them. All right, let's be honest. How many of you love it when somebody disagrees with you? The only people who really love it are the people who love to argue. Have you ever played the game Scategories? Yeah, it's a word game, you guess word. And, and part of it is you can make a suggestion and the rest of the group can vote you down. My dad said it's the greatest game in the world because you get to argue every point. Some people just love to argue every point, and, and they feel frustrated, and they are certain that if you only understood what they understood, then you would agree with them if you weren't so dumb. That's really how they think. Number eight, even when they're wrong, they argue there's a good reason for them to have been mistaken. Got a picture of a dog eating homework here. How many of you have ever tried that excuse? It's an old joke. I don't know if anybody's really had a dog eat their homework, but I hope it wasn't for science class. Um, uh, they argue there was a good reason for them to make that mistake. 
Even if they're wrong, they don't admit they're wrong, they blame it on circumstances or other people. Number nine, when they actually do admit their mistake, they say, I can't believe that I did that. You know, I could picture Jim Ricosi doing that, but I can't believe that I did that. And they obsess over it. These are people who have a quiet arrogance or a false humility. And we need to avoid that. And we're going to look this morning in Romans chapter 12 at a few verses that if we follow these verses, we'll get our heart on the right track and we'll avoid the quiet arrogance or false humility. Last Sunday evening, we were looking in Gideon, at Gideon in Judges 6, 7, and 8, and he led the nation to victory over the Midianites. After they had this great victory, then uh, the people came to Gideon and said, we want you to be the king. And Gideon said, oh, no, I couldn't be the king. No, no, I couldn't do that. And then Abimel, or, uh, Gideon, also called Jerubbabel, Gideon had a son. He named his son Abimelech. Those of you who were here last Sunday night, what does the name Abimelech mean? Son of the king, or my dad is king. Oh no, I can't be king, but I'm going to name my son, my dad is king. Okay, we don't want to be like that. We want to have a heart for God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, what does beseech mean? Beg, please. Have you ever seen kids do this in the grocery store? Parents, don't let this happen to you. But I'll see parents in the grocery store and a kid saying, can I have it? Please, 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 please. I want it. Please, please, please. And the parent's saying, no, 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 no. And finally the parent says, okay, if you'll be quiet, you can have it. Man, I wish that had worked on my dad. It, it didn't work. It didn't work in our house. One of our kids had a friend over and they asked if they could do something and the friend started jumping down going, please, please, please. And I don't remember which one of our kids said, stop, stop. If you beg, the answer's no. He's still thinking the answer might be yes. Uh, so don't let kids beg their way into it. Although I must admit our older son, Nathan, uh, manipulated a little bit. There was something Megan wanted to do and Nathan did not. So he begged, please let us do it. Please, please, please. And I knew what he was doing. So I said, okay. And he's like, it's not supposed to work like that. All right. Begging is not a good thing outside of this kind of begging. I am begging you. I am pleading with you. I am imploring. Would you please join with me in this? He says, Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Now, have you noticed something about this? Which, is this singular or plural, the way Paul's addressing this? Plural. So he said, I want you to present your bodies. This is something the body of Christ does together. This is something the church does together. We present our bodies. This is something we're all working on. There's a togetherness here. Uh, some people focus only on their individual relationship with Christ and kind of it's all about them. But Paul's saying, 
Get outside of yourself. Get over yourself. Focus on our togetherness. And everybody work on this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Normally, in the Old Testament economy, when you made a sacrifice, uh, the lamb that was the sacrifice died. The turtle dove that was the sacrifice died. Uh, he's saying be a living sacrifice. Set yourself apart. Uh, just, just lay your life on the line. Give it all to the Lord. A living sacrifice. So that you will live in a sacrificial way. You could also say sacramental. That you're really focusing on Christ and dedicating your body to him. Uh, holy. This is sacred. Set apart. Acceptable to God. He's the one who approves this. Um, it, some of you go to public school, some are homeschooled, some are private school, charter school. Uh, whoever, whatever you're schooling, you are not the one who determines how good your paper is. Your teacher does. Whether it's your parent, your public school teacher, charter school, private school, they determine the grade that you get. And God determines the grade you get in life. You want to be approved unto God. Uh, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is a logical response to everything that he said in chapters 1 through 11. He's talked about how sin came into the world and how all of us are accountable to God and how everyone is a sinner and we need to be saved the same way by trusting and believing Christ. He talks about how Israel rejected Christ and how the Gentiles rejected God's plan. And now we all, each one of us, needs to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, listen, because of all that doctrine that he's laid out in the first 11 chapters, here's the only reasonable response. Now, if there were a fire in this building, what would the reasonable response be? Get out. If you're a parent, what would the reasonable response be? Get your kids out and then get out. Why? Because that would be appropriate. Even if it's only an itty-bitty little fire, you find out later it wasn't much. You don't want to see, sit around and watch and see whether it's going to get out of hand or not. You move out. And so... There's a reasonable response to our accountability to God, a reasonable response to our need for salvation. There's a reasonable response for us to follow the Lord. And so he calls us to do that, to present our bodies to Christ together. Uh, it's your reasonable service. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let this world kind of push you into its mold. Now, back in the old days, you know, at Grandma's house, she'd make jello inside a mold. And uh, don't let it form you, the world, form you into its mold. I don't know if you've ever worked with Play-Doh or clay or any. You can shape it. And don't let the world shape you. You let your thoughts, actions, and accountability be shaped on Jesus Christ. Not on what the world thinks out there in, in the world uh, we do things that are just a little bit different. 
out there in the world, even among churches that profess to follow the Lord, baptism is not after salvation, it's before. Sometimes it's infants, and, and they sprinkle a little water on them or, or something like that and call it baptism. The Bible calls baptism by immersion after salvation. That's the biblical method of baptism. And so he's saying, listen, together, each one of us has to help each other. So you don't be conformed to this world and you be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Pray and read the scripture. You can. But, but sometimes it's just a thinking process. Years ago, I was a junk food junkie. I was. I, every Thanksgiving day, my mom would make me my own pumpkin pie. I would eat mine and then help the family eat theirs. Uh, when I became a pastor on Sunday afternoon, I'd have a bowl of candy sitting on my desk. And while I finished getting ready for Sunday night, I would chow down on that candy. Kathy said I usually ate one pound every Sunday afternoon. And then I became diabetic. And then I had to change the way I thought. And the first time she bought me these peanut butter and sugar-free cookies, I told her, those are nasty. Don't ever buy those things again. Well, a couple of years later, she bought them for me again. And I ate one. I said, man, they've really improved their recipe. <laughs> it was the same thing. What had happened? I had been transformed. I thought differently about sugar. I avoided sugar. I realized I was just too naturally sweet. I didn't want to overload my system, so I had to cut back on it. Yeah. And, and so I worked at it. I thought about it differently. And just uh, in March this year, I made a renewed commitment to exercise regularly. And I was telling Megan a couple, uh, a few days ago, I don't remember exactly when, but, but she, she asked if I'd had a good walk. And I said, yeah, I went for a walk in the morning, but it was just a short one. I only went three miles. Well, back in February, if I'd gone for a three-mile walk, that would have been a first-rate walk, you know. Well, I've been working at it a little more, and so three miles isn't much. If all I'm doing is walking, if I'm walking and working out, then three miles is okay. But anyway, that's how it's working for me. Your brain changes as you adapt and as you mature. So you can intentionally adjust your brain. You can intentionally make changes through prayer, by focusing on the word of God, by thinking about things, by making yourself accountable to God through his word, accountable to other people. You can change the way your brain thinks. Just a little thing. How many of you like making the bed? Anyone like making the bed? Now, we, we make the bed every day. And I didn't really like making the bed. Kathy didn't really like making the bed. She used to like making the bed. But now we got this big floppy cover that works easy. But, but the bed is so pristine, you know? And she used to like it when, when it was like the military-made bed, everything crisp and smooth. And, and the bed we have now, you just can't do that. It's impossible. And so one day she mentioned to me that she didn't like making the bed because you can't make it as sharp. And when she's done, she always feels like it's not quite done. Well, it used to annoy me that I would get out of bed first some days and then I would still be making the bed. And it, it really annoyed me a little bit. You know, I felt like, you know, 
know, I mean, she does most of the stuff around the house. Why can't she do that too? Right? <laughs> and, and so she told me that about the bed. She feels like it's never quite finished. And I thought, well, that explains it. And now I make the bed like 90% of the time or more. Why? Because it doesn't bother me now that I know why. All I did, the thing's the same, the bed's the same, the room's the same, thank God, my wife's the same, uh, but the difference is I think about it differently. Now I'm not making the bed, now I'm helping Cassie. That's a big difference. It's a change in the way you think. And you can do that in personal relationships, in your relationship with the Lord. You can change the way you think so that it's no longer a burden to do something. Now it's a blessing because you're helping somebody. I've always found it easier to help somebody else change a tire than to do my own. Just the motivation's totally different. And so change the way you think. Help each other pull our focus toward Jesus Christ away from the things of the world and onto Jesus Christ. And we can help each other do that. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can show people what God wants to see, what's the right thing to do, and it'll even give you opportunities to witness to other people. Because when you respond like Christ, the world recognizes the difference. Verse number three, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, a little bit earlier, Tim was joking around, talking about Awana, and he was saying, man, in TNT, they got a great director, Tim Bennett. And then in Journey Club, they got great directors, Tim and Clorinda Bennett. Now, he was being a little silly. If he really felt like that, we probably wouldn't want him doing some of the things he's doing here. But you know, the truth is, we do have a great director in Tim Penn. And we have a great team of, of directors in Germany with Tim and Clorinda. And we have great Awana leaders, Tim and Clorinda. They're, they do a great job. Why? Because they work really hard at it. But Tim is not saying, oh, you know, if you people would just try and be like me, God would love you. He's not doing that. He's trying to challenge you to follow God and me to follow God and all of us to pursue the Lord. And he's a big help to me. Uh, I really appreciate it. In fact, a couple times this year when I was out of town, he preached for me. And I really appreciated that. He did a great job. So quiet arrogance, false humility. Verse 3 says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So in the, in the arrogant side, if Tim thought he was great, man, he is God's answer for Casa, Casa Grande. And, I mean, if we didn't have him, we would just stink, right? Uh, well, we wouldn't want to be around him. But on the opposite side, if we said, hey, Tim, you know, we have a real need for somebody in our journey club. Can you do that? And Tim said, oh, I could never do that. Yes, he could. He has the skills to it. So he's not saying don't recognize the skills and abilities God has given you. Just don't obsess over it. 
Don't think more highly than you ought to think. Paul the Apostle thought he deserved to be writing this letter to the church in Rome. And if you read this, you know, yes, this was the Holy Spirit of God reading Paul. It's an amazing letter when you study the whole thing through. Amazing theology presented in such practical ways and understandable. And so Paul lays out this terrific argument for the Lord. And Paul's saying, don't think more highly than you ought to think. So realize you have certain gifts and abilities. You need to use them for the Lord. Don't be so falsely humble you won't do anything, but don't be arrogant either. Don't exalt yourself. Everybody on the planet struggles with sin and struggles with being completely faithful to Christ. And everybody on the planet needs grace. Nobody has arrived to perfection in this life. I'm, I'm really close. Not really. No one has arrived. People say I'm a little weird. I tell them, you know, that's okay. Everybody's weird. Jesus Christ is normal. Everybody else is a little weird. Some just excel at it, right? So don't try and lift yourself up. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Verse 4, uh, we belong to each other, for we have many members in one body, but all the members do not the same functions. So you, you have different, different abilities that you can do. And when it's all working together, the body's great. But the other night, I, was, I sit on the bed, I have a, a lap desk, and I use the computer, and, and that's my study now. And we rearranged the house. And so I climbed on the bed, and I was swinging my foot up, to get it on the bed, and we have a file cabinet beside it, and this little um, handle that sticks off the file cabinet decided it was going to jump out and rip my toe apart. And so they heard this beller from the bedroom, and Megan came in and said, are you okay? And I hurt my toe. <laughs> Everybody needs help. And everybody's supposed to participate. I have one little toe that hurts. That makes your whole foot hurt, right? That makes your whole leg hurt. That makes your whole body hurt. Why? Because you're interconnected. And so is the church. We're interconnected. So some people have some skills that others don't have. And other people have skills that you don't have. And we work together to accomplish great things. I love Lana working in the nursery. But you do not want me working in the nursery. We'd Velcro the wall, Velcro the babies, stick, 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 stick. That's how I'd have to work in the nursery. I love the kids in cubbies. Those kids are sweet. They're learning. They're struggling to memorize Bible verses. If I had to work in cubbies every night, I would not work in a water. But some of our cubby workers feel the same way about track. Work with middle schoolers, some of whom are named Rakosi. They, they just really stress over that. Well, I find that a lot of fun. I've enjoyed the Rakosis I've had in track, and I'm looking forward to having Dawson and Archie. It's a lot of fun. And Mary Jane's joining us this year. That's a little scary. But 
you know, we, we're working and, and we serve in different ways in different places, but recognize we all work together. We are many members in one body and we have different functions. And then in verses uh, 5 through 8, he talks about some of the ways the, the body functions differently. We're one body in Christ, individually members of one another. We have gifts differing according to what? Gifts differing according to your total awesomeness? No, according to the grace that is given to you. So he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, boldly proclaiming the word of God, do it in proportion to your faith. If you have the gift of ministry, really helping, ministering, caring for people, uh, then uh, use it in your ministry. If you have the gift of teaching, then be teaching. If you have the gift of exhorting, then he who exhorts in exhortation to encourage and strengthen and help people. He who gives with liberality. Some people really have a gift of giving and, and they give with their money and they give with their time and they give with their heart. And, and they just do it over and over. Everybody's called to be faithful in those areas, but some people just excel at it. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, uh, focus on it. But you need to realize that in the body of Christ, in the church, in our assembly together uh, this morning, thinking in the terms of in our Awana ministry, everybody has a different part to play. Imagine if... They went into Sparks this week, and Ben and Teresa are the directors in Sparks. And imagine if Meredith decided to do a coup in there. She was going to take over Sparks, and she was just going to start doing anything, everything. And she was going to step in the way when Ben tries to teach. She's going to step in the way and start teaching her own thing, her own time, her own way. That's just not going to work. You serve where God has called you, where the door has been opened, but you serve and recognize that as a body, we have a need for one another. We connect with one another. If we walked out after church and you saw a finger laying on the sidewalk all by itself doing this, it would totally freak you out. <laughs> but when it's attached to a hand and it does this, you just think it's a little goofy. So we pull together and we serve together. And no one exalts themselves above everybody. And no one puts themselves down. We're not arrogant and we're not falsely humble. Recognizing I have value. I can contribute. And we all serve together. So if you are not serving others in some way, then you're not fulfilling the life Christ has for you. That doesn't mean you all have to work in Awana. It doesn't mean you all have to work in our Good News Bible Club. It doesn't mean you all have to do everything everybody else is doing. But it means you need to be doing something. If you cannot point to last week and see a way that you ministered to other people in a way that pleased the Lord, then you need to correct your ways. And you need to decide, okay, last week I blew it. This week, how am I going to minister to other people for the Lord, in the name of the Lord, with the power of the Lord? Because we are called to serve. Don't expect to be God's answer person. You are one of God's people. And you need other people. 
God, by definition, by design, said, you need help. He gave other people gifts that you do not have to help you work with them so that both of you are more like Christ. Don't be arrogant about your gift. It's a gift. You can be happy about a gift, but you can't be arrogant about a gift. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. Don't be selfish with your gift. Don't just see how you can use it for you. Uh, some people who have the gift of giving, also God often enables them to make lots of money. Not always, but often. So there are people who are extremely generous financially. I've known a man who individually, he's given more than a billion dollars to the work of the Lord. And excited about it and eager to help in different ways and, and big chunks and little chunks. Uh, I probably in my lifetime will never have the opportunity to give away that much. Be totally cool, but it's not likely going to happen. But if all he did was focus on getting that money for himself, then he would be robbing a lot of people of the blessing they could have through Christ. So uh, don't be arrogant about your gift. Don't be selfish with your gift. Don't expect other people to look to you because you are the gifted one anointed of God. All of us have the Holy Spirit of God within us if you've trusted Christ. And you need to use what he has given you to help and minister to other people. Jump down to the end of this chapter. Closing thought. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I know a lot of Christians who just live in fear of our culture because they're out there and they want to get you. But they also forget greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. You don't need to cower in fear. In fact, the scripture says the opposite. We can storm the gates of hell because we have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So don't allow this quiet arrogance or false humility. Recognize you are gifted by God. You are needed by others. You have the capacity, the opportunity, and the responsibility to step up and serve. We're going to sing a song called I Surrender All, number 596. It's kind of a closing song, kind of a song of invitation, a song for you to look at yourself and ask yourself, are you doing what God wants you to do? Are you doing what God wants in the way God wants to minister to the people God wants you to minister to? Ask yourself that. So right before we sing this song, I'm going to ask Benjamin to play through I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads, look in your heart, and ask God what he would like to change inside you.